1995, Nintendo released a peripheral for their Super Famicom system that was admittedly a bit ahead of its time. The Satellaview was a broadcast tuner that connected to satellites and allowed users to download games to memory cards during very specific periods of time. Users were treated to new games and remakes from their favorite series in weekly episodes downloaded to their Nintendo system. Never released outside of Japan, the Satellaview features a unique library expanding the series that many gamers know throughout the world. Today, we're going to look at the history of the Satellaview and talk about some of the games throughout its library. So stick around and join us for today's special broadcast on yet another trip down memory card lane. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. I hope these words find you well. Hello and welcome to the 87th episode of our video game nostalgia podcast, A Trip Down Memory Card Lane. Each week, we take a look back at one game relevant to the current week in gaming history, and we talk about it. While doing so, we hope to teach you something new about the game, what it took from the world as its inspiration, or what it gave back to the world as its legacy. This week, we are looking back at the Satellaview, which was a peripheral for the Super Famicom that was released in 1995. And if none of those words mean anything to you, that's okay. We're going to cover that. I'm David Casson, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, who still thinks that satellite radio is the cat's meow, my brother, Rob Casson. So, Rob, what, uh, what kind of programming do they have beaming off those satellite these days? Uh, a lot of weird clicks. Um, oh. Maybe from the ocean. Can't really tell. Clicks weird. from the ocean. Or maybe it's the internet. Or outer space. Outer no. space is very big. We do not know what's out there. Sure we do. Outer space. Aliens. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And maybe they click. You never know. Or they speak English or any of the other world's languages. You never know. But that'd be, you know, it'd be cool to find aliens, actually. I Maybe. I, I never, you know, it's not like I ever thought we'd be flying helicopters on Mars in my lifetime. But here we are. So, you know. Well, Dave, I don't know why we got on the topic of space. Why not? I think, Space is I, interesting. No, I know that it is, but uh, I'm pretty sure that we have uh, a game to talk about. Yeah, we, game console. We, we do, but before that, what have you been playing this week? Uh, hmm. I've been playing some Rocket League. I played some Apex. Um, at the moment, I can't think of anything else. Mountain Blade. Oh yes, Mountain Blade Two Banner Lord. Probably Yu Gi Oh. No, I I don't think I played that this week. Surprisingly. Hmm. Yeah. No, it's not a. It's a short list this week. How about yourself? Also short, I think Forza Rocket League. I finished Guardians of the Galaxy. I'll spare our listeners from it, but it's a very good game. I highly recommend it. I ranted for like probably half hour on our on our discord yesterday um, true i think that's about it 
I can't think of anything else. So, well, Rob, have you ever heard of the Satellaview before? I've not heard of a Satellaview, Dave. Admittedly, neither have I. This is all new to me. There's a good reason for this. So, first of all, the Satellaview was a peripheral for the Super Famicom. That is the Japanese version of the Super Nintendo system. And it was only for the Super Famicom, meaning that it was a Japanese-only peripheral. So for a lot of our North American listeners, or actually any listeners outside of Japan, this is going to be foreign to them. Back in 1990, uh, Sento Giga, it looks like Saint Giga for those of us, was a satellite radio subsidiary of a Japanese television company that was based in Tokyo. Now, Giga was best known for its Tide of Sound broadcast. These were high-quality digital recordings of nature sounds that were accompanied by a spoken word narrator known as The Voice. Now, they would have different people be The Voice, celebrities, poets, things like that, but it was really a lot of ambient music. Also, one of the other philosophies of their recording was they didn't do commercials or DJs or anything like that. They also didn't play music on a fixed schedule the way we think of of music and fixed schedules. There was no like, hey, welcome to the one hour programming block or anything like that. Instead, they developed programming based on the title cycles uh, in rules of 12s. So basically, as the tides came in, tides went out, the moons and everything, they kind of, I don't know, programmed to the mood, I guess is a good way to put it. Which uh, is... Yeah, I suppose. it's Well, it's kind of bizarre when you think about it, but it, it really worked for them. It, it was really popular. The, the company was initially a success, and... This concept, you know, this really non-standard way of, of, of developing programming was was popular. You know, the, the radio station began releasing albums featuring its own music. There were foreign music, such as Hearts of Space, various compositions by Deep Forest. Um, there were sound calendars and program guides and all these just non-standard ways of, of presenting music to listeners however by 1994 the company struggled financially due to there was a japanese recession then which really reduced consumer spending on well satellite systems first of all because it was a a satellite radio service a subscription-based satellite radio service and just music in general you know when people don't have money they're not out buying cds either so 1994 was a very difficult time for this radio company. For whatever reason, Nintendo stepped in. Nintendo decided to purchase a 19.5% stake in the company as a way to rescue it and help to successfully restructure it. With that being said, right about that time, they began development on the Satellaview uh, right after right after this investment. You know, it was developed alongside to kind of put this time into perspective. Uh, the Virtual Boy and the Nintendo sixty four these were all being developed about the same time the Satellaview was. 
So, you know, they kind of had all these things going at the same time. While Nintendo was producing this Ateleview, Giga revamped its broadcasting schedule to include a new programming block, which was called the Super Famicom Hour. So here they break their they break their weird mythology. Here's an actual programming block. The Super Famicom Hour provided gameplay gameplay tips and news for upcoming games uh, for the Super Famicom. In December of 94, Nintendo officially announced the Satellaview. It was unveiled to have a retail price of about $150, which in 2021 dollars is $270. That's pretty nuts if you think about that. Inflation sucks. For an attachment? For oh, per- yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. For a peripheral. Yep. I mean, that seems a lot for a peripheral. Yes, sir. Now, this peripheral was also developed by Nintendo R&D 2, which we've covered in the past. This is the same team that had actually made the Super Famicom and helped with the SNES. And the truth was, at the time, Nintendo was really in a slump. You know, Super Famicom game sales were, were sliding. The Virtual Boy had failed. It had released a little bit after this. And, I mean, we haven't really... I think we... Do I cover it later this year? I think we cover it later this year. No um, idea, Dave. I'm pretty sure. It's a, you can find out somewhere. Well, yes, we have a calendar on our website at memorycardlane.com, but I think it's late later in the year, and I haven't produced the second half of the year calendar. Boo. I know. I know. But anyway, so the Virtual Boy failed. Uh, Super Famicom game sales were slumping. The N64 hadn't been released yet, so Nintendo was kind of in a little bit of a slump. Despite this, though, the Satellaview was something they were confident in. You know, they they thought that it was going to be successful, that any consumer doubt in the company would be quelled by it. And, you know, company president, Nintendo president Hiroshi Yamauchi, he projected that they would sell roughly about two million Satellaview units every year. Pre-orders came out in February of 95, actually February 25th, uh, the day after my 10th birthday. And no, 9th birthday, 10th birthday, 11th birthday. <laughs> there you know. go. I don't even know how old I am. It's 11. Yeah. Um, broadcasting services for the Satellaview launched to the Giga Satellite Network on April 1st. And the peripheral, so consumers could actually grab said broadcasts was released on April 24th, 1995. So the Satellaview is a device. It attaches to the Super Famicom's had an expansion port on the bottom. Um, This is where, I I mean, a lot of Nintendo systems have a little expansion port. Later on, the Nintendo 64 would have the same thing in the 64DD, which we we will cover later this year, uh, connects the same way. It had a power transfer bracket that would supply power to it and the Super Famicom. Um, It actually made the Super Famicom a little bit beefier. It added some memory and some RAM to it. And also it had um, AC adapters for everything, an AV selector so you could switch between everything. And this all kind of came together to connect your Super Famicom to what was essentially a broadcast satellite tuner. Um, kind of like what, what do we have for broadcast satellite nowadays? Um, who's the only company that really still does it? 
Sirius and XM? Weren't those the big two when satellite radio was huge? Uh, I believe it's Sirius XM now. I believe now they merged. They, they merged. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Now, game and broadcast information was stored on these eight megabyte memory packs that were inserted into the top of a special cartridge. These memory packs could be written over um, so you could use it for different games broadcasts, which we'll talk about in a second. And the peripheral came with a, a system cartridge, a required cartridge called BSX. The town It translates to, and BS, just for the record, stands for Broadcast Satellite. Uh, and all the games for it started with BS, so you knew they were broadcast games, not bullshit like we're used to in the English language. Um, oh, so it definitely be- meant that. It definitely meant bullshit. Yeah, you are so right. Uh, so this required cartridge was called BSX, the town whose name was stolen. And this was kind of like your required menu, our, our lobby, to put it in a modern uh, phases. It was an interactive menu system and kind of its own game. And they designed it after Earthbound. So you would load into like this Earthbound town that was basically a hub. And each building in the town represented a different service available to Satellaview subscribers. So there was like a place you could go to design your avatar. There was a store that you could go to purchase items. There was a building for mini games. There was a news uh, a news building. There were different contests that were available that you could go and, and, and participate in. So there were all these things that you could do. Now, the broadcast Satellaview wasn't as popular as Nintendo had hoped. Uh, in March of 97, for instance, uh, kind of the heyday of this, it had 116,370-something active users. Um, so not quite the 2 million units a not quite the two million units a year that Nintendo had wanted to sell. Um, and as a result, admittedly, by 1998, uh, Nintendo's relationship with the company began to t- deteriorate. Um, when Nintendo invested in the company, they did so as a as a stopgap, right? Because the company was failing. They gave them money with the hopes of, hey, we need you to do these things and turn this company around and and so on and so forth. Well, the company refused to follow a debt management plan that Nintendo had created for them uh, in order to basically make them solvent again, to make them profitable. Uh, and a, a lot, about the same time, the company also failed to apply for a new license that allowed them to have a broadcasting license for digital satellites. So these two things kind of led to Nintendo saying, we're done, you know? So in March of 99, Nintendo halted all production. No more, no more new Satellaviews, no new games, no new content, um, no nothing. Um, the company tried to supply content for a little while. They kept broadcasting reruns of, of games and, and there weren't just games on it. There were magazines and videos and stuff like that. It was kind of an early internet, but not quite at the same time. Um, you know, so they broadcast this older stuff and then they dumped everything. So only video games were part of it. And then basically in June of 2000, 
the Satella view was was just fully discontinued. You know, um, Nintendo wasn't supporting it. The company didn't have money. There were only about forty six thousand active subscribers by by June of two thousand, so not very much. It wasn't enough for the company to stay afloat. And one year later, in two thousand one, they declared bankruptcy and later were were merged into some other Japanese media conglomerate. So kind of a quick and dirty history. There were a lot of really interesting things, a lot of really interesting things about it. Um, What do you think so far? Uh, It's very interesting concept, but I mean, I I don't know. It seems kind of weird, too. Why? What's weird about it? I mean, just it seems really early to have had something like that as far as like, obviously, nowadays, it's so commonplace for that to be a thing. But thinking back to like the Super Nintendo days, like I just can't imagine having like subscription for a satellite game. Well, so get this. The Super Famicom hour was one hour on a Sunday, and it was only in that hour that you could download these games oh and so for instance like we'll talk about in a second but dragon quest uh or bs dragon quest broadcast satellite dragon quest it was four one hour scenarios that that would have the player do different tasks so you could level the character there was one where you had to collect medals and there was an, another couple that had very specific conditions with real-time events. So you could only do it in that hour. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah, that's interesting. So what's really unique about the Satellaview is it's probably one of the earlier examples of, a, of, of in-console gaming specifically... You know, because PC gaming is a little different in console gaming of people playing a game together on the Internet. Now, they may not have been playing together like multiplayer, but because of this time constraint, they were playing the same thing at the same time. Now, the Satellaview had these games called Soundlink games. And we're going to talk about a bunch of Soundlink games because they're really unique. Soundlink bank games were basically games that, you know how initially when we talked about Giga's radio programming, I talked about the voice. They played ambient music with spoken voice over it. Right. That's what Soundlink games were. So sometimes the Soundlink were, were people giving game hints on how to play. And eventually they learn how to use the technology and we'll talk about these games where the sound link was the game itself. So people were playing and the dialogue was spoken at a specific time. And so everyone was playing the same game at the same time, encountering the same dialogue at the same time. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, that's actually kind of crazy to think about. So it was really a collective group video game deal before there was collective group video game deals. Um, maybe not multiplayer the way we, we think about it, but definitely a shared experience between 116,000 users at one time, you know? 
Oh, absolutely. And it's it, like I said, it's crazy to think about, especially just considering the time that this had, was right. happening. Right, right. So all in all, there were a total of 114 game re- games released for the Satellaview. Some were remakes, some were updates of older, you know, NES or SNES games. And there were some that were created specifically for the BS service. Um, not all were Soundlink games. Like I said, we'll talk about Soundlink games. There's a couple really cool ones. Uh, some were just games. And um, with our remaining time, I just kind of want to cover some of the library. There's some really interesting stuff in there. Um, now, we've already talked about Dragon Quest. You know, it was four one-hour scenarios downloaded on a weekly schedule. Um, they made a sequel to F-Zero on the BS. There was F-Zero Grand Prix and F-Zero Grand Prix 2. F-Zero Grand Prix contained a new track along with the original 15 tracks and four different playable vehicles. Uh, and F-Zero Grand Prix 2... Uh, contain one whole new league with five new tracks, a Grand Prix, and a practice mode. Now, this these F Zero Grand Prix, the sequels, they were never they were considered to be released in North America, but they never were. So they got a they got an F Zero sequel. Now, eventually, we got F Zero sixty four and later ones, but we never got the F Zero Grand Prix sequel that was only released here. So. They did a Gaiden. Uh, we've used that word before. It's an episodic version of the original Harvest Moon. We did an episode on Harvest Moon before. Yes, we did. Um, yes, we did. There were four unique episodes. These were Soundlink episodes. They had narration. It was voice data that was intended to guide players through the game and give hints. So this was one of the sound links that would tell players how to play the game. Um, what's re- like I said, what's really, the, I, I love the concept of sound link really like is fascinating to me because, because of the way sound link was played and broadcast, you could only broadcast, like get these, games between 6 and 6 50 p.m on the dates they were released so there were four episodes there was outdoor life there was fruitful land and mine there was we are all alive and there was aim for ranch master i when i when i see aim for ranch master i think of like shooting for ranch master but i know the concept is aim to be a ranch master and it's a weird translation There was one called the BS Super Mario USA Power Challenge. This was a version of Super Mario All-Stars that included CD quality music. They updated the music. Also, it had sound like narration, so it had helpful tips that would be broadcast. And it upgraded the 8-bit graphics from the original Super Mario All-Stars to 16-bit. Um... It was mostly the same. This version had a score counter now. Uh, Also, one thing that was not found in the original version was there were these gold Mario statues. Ten were hidden in each chapter, and they were hidden throughout various locations in the levels. And if you collected them, you would get an extra life, and your, your life meter would get refilled. Now, this one also split the game up into four episodes. There was I, Super Birdo... There was Triclide Secret Quicksand Surprise. 
there was Fry Guy on Packed Ice, and there was Warts Trap Lookout Mario Brothers. Rob, can you wrap your head around the ep- episode portion? Like the ever, all these people got these games, but they had to play them in like four bits and pieces you know i mean there are definitely games that we play in parts so i can understand that but yeah it's more of we have the ability to and not we're forced to which that's it's weird to think about that part of it that like you can only play it at this time on this day well there was there were some games the sound the sound link had to be done there but the games themselves, some of the games you could actually download and play, not, not. So it was kind of a, a mix, to be clear. So right, no, yeah, I get that. There were there was a Chrono Trigger mini game called Jet Bike Special. There was a Chrono Trigger character library and a Chrono Trigger music library. Now these three things were later included on one of the later like remakes or remasters of Chrono Trigger that was I don't know PlayStation PlayStation Two one or the other. And speaking of Chrono Trigger, there is a side story that is part of the series that was only released here for the Satellaview. It's called Radical Dreamers. It's a text-based visual novel adventure game. That was published by Square and is a side story to Chrono Trigger itself. Kind of fascinating. Yeah. The creator of Earthbound, Itoi Shigasato. Isn't that what it is? Itoi Shigasato? I think that's what it is. He made a fishing game that's only found on the on the Satellaview. Of all things, a fishing game. Um there's nothing really fancy about it. It uh, The goal was to catch the largest fish possible. You could use different lures. There were different times of day, different weather conditions. And like most fishing games, you would find what's best to catch the biggest fish. Uh, in 1997, Nintendo held a series of contests in this game where people could compete with other people playing the game. Uh, the top 10 best scores from each division would win lures, exclusive lures. They were hand-painted lures uh, and collector's items, you know. Um, also, the top 100 people would get stickers, tournament stickers, and have their names published on Nintendo's website. There was also a specific... Um, you could download magazines to read, like an e-reader, on the Satellaview in the BSX uh, software, and there was actually a magazine related to this game called Bass Fishing, number one weekly. And uh, all the winners would get published in there, too. So, you know, there was a fishing game. That's actually uh, kind of cool to know, but I don't know. It's, it's interesting. Of, it's Well, it's interesting. They made a, a Kirby mini game. Uh, a game that's a bunch of mini games in the in in the Kirby universe called Kirby's Toy Box. There were games such as Arrange Ball, Ball Rally, Baseball, Cannonball, uh, Pachinko, and Pinball. So you know, there's also a Fire Emblem game. It is a prequel to the first Fire Emblem title. Uh, it was technically, I mean, this one's kind of weird because it was the fifth one released. Um, and but it's not really counted among the main entries. 
it's kind of an unofficial part of the series now because it could only be used. Like one of the big problems, Rob, with this is they made all these games for these major series, but only like a real 116,000 people played them. You know what I mean? Right. So like, Hey, here's a prequel prequel to the fire emblem title, which sells millions of copies across the world, but only 116,000 people can play, play this prequel. Um, yeah. Now this one's kind of weird. It, it played. Have you ever played a Fire Emblem game before? I have not, but I am familiar with the series because of my college friends. Gotcha. So it, it's that same style of turn-based combat. Um, this prequel throws waves at enemies at a party during a three-hour time limit. Now, interestingly enough, this was the first Fire Emblem title to include voice acting. Uh, this was a SoundLink title, so this is one of the ways that they use SoundLink. They live streamed the voice acting during the broadcast, so it's really weird to think about because essentially it's playing a game and having a radio over it while you're playing. If that makes sense, isn't that kind of weird to think about? So were those games that could only be played during that time? Uh, the SoundLink, yeah, they could play. So I'm probably wrong on this, but I read somewhere someone said that they could play and eventually they recovered some of these games. There's this big, big, been a big push to to preserve these like people are searching for memory cards that have these games on them, because once the Centennial of you went defunct, a lot of these games were gone, like gone, gone for good, gone, gone. Um, And there's been a big push. Now, they found memory cards where the game exists, but the sound link part is gone. So I'm guessing the answer is yes, because the game must have downloaded, but the sound link narration, or live, or in this case, voice acting, was only streamed during that time period. Okay. You so know? You can probably play it, but just without the act, the voices. Yeah, exactly. All right, that, that seems a little less sucky. Do you remember Excite Bike? Uh, yes, I do. There was a remake of Excite Bike called Excite Bike Bun Bun Mario Battle Stadium, and essentially that what, is a hell of a name. Essentially, what it is is all the human motorcycle bikers have been replaced by Mario, Luigi, Princess Peach, Wario, Wario, Toad, and some of the Koopa Troopas. Uh, the rest of the game was virtually unchanged, except for the, they added a super mode where the player had unlimited turbo. Um, and they added coins throughout the course that would increase your top speed in that mode. So it was basically just Mario bikes. Yeah, it was Excite Bike with Mario, pretty much. Interesting. Now there were some other games that weren't part of other series that were released for the Satellaview. They released an Arkanoid title. Doctor Mario was released and completely available to play there was a lemmings title you could play now these weren't special bs versions you could literally just download dr mario and play it Uh, there was a specific bs version of mario paint in which all they did was um change it so you could actually control it with the controller and not the mouse peripheral there, the first uh, Super EDF or Earth Defense Force was released on this, as was Wario, Wario's Woods and, of all things, Wizardry 5. 
Uh, so these were all other games that over the course of, you know, of the lifespan of the system had broadcast dates where you could download them. I've heard of two of them. Well, now, one and then one with a BS version. Yeah. With what ones haven't you've never heard of Lemmings? Nope. I mean, I know I've heard of like what a lemming is, but I've never heard of a game. You didn't. Okay. That's really bizarre to me. You know, Dr. Wario. Yep. Earth Defense Force. Never heard of it. No. Nope. That series is still going. That's the one where you defend the Earth against giant insects. You've never seen that before. Negatory. Oh my goodness. EDFs are tons of fun. When I say giant insects, I mean like ants the size of, of skyscrapers. Well, not skyscrapers, but the size of large buildings. It's such a very unique series. It, it definitely does sound interesting, but yeah, never heard of it. And small type. I, pl- I play it with one of my friends. We we like to, it's just such a, a weird game and it's not, it's, it's mindless. You know, it's just shooting waves of, of giant bugs as they come at you. All right. So with that being said, perhaps the most interesting games to come off the Satellaview were a series of Legend of Zelda games. The first one they released was called just The Legend of Zelda, BS The Legend of Zelda, or Zelda no Densetsu. It was the fifth game that was developed in the Legend of Zelda series, but this one does not feature Link. That's what, what? kind of makes it weird. I know, right? What they did for these is your BSX avatar, the one that you used in the town and everything, that is the character that they put into this Legend of Zelda game. Now, Legend of Zelda, the BS version, has a distinction of being it was the first Soundlink game that they released, so it was kind of their guinea pig. It was also what they 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 coined it as the world's first integrated radio game. Now, it's not really a different game. It stylistically is it looks like the original top-down Legend of Zelda, but done with 16-bit graphics. Uh, so a lot of people refer to it as an enhanced remake of the original game. Now its plot is very chronologically close to A Link to the Past, which was the SNES uh, Legend of Zelda. It, for those of you that don't know the way the plot is, I'll kind of give a, a brief overview. So in this series, the gods create a holy golden triangle called the Triforce, and the Triforce grants the wishes of anyone who possesses it. Ganondorf is an evil boss. He runs a gang of thieves, and he finds the Triforce and gets his hands on it, and he's transformed into a monster called Ganon, who basically spreads... I don't know, evil across Hyrule, which is the land this is set in, right? Am I good so far? Yeah, yeah, that checks out. The gods basically would send the word out that a holy sword would be required to stop Ganon's evil. And so basically the king of Hyrule commissioned a sword. And after it was completed, they basically discovered that there was no one that could wield the sword. And so basically they had to they had to work on sealing Ganon away 
until a hero could be born who could wield the blade. Um, however, the seal didn't work. Ganon escapes and he manages to kid- kidnap the king's daughter, who is Princess Zelda. That's it's, So it's called The Legend of Zelda. For those of you who don't know, mind blown, Zelda is not the character you play. Zelda is the character you save in most of these games. Blasphemous. All these games. Blasphemous. (laughs) Shut up. As luck would have it in this version of the game, on Sunday, a few days later, I'm going to point out that Sunday thing because it's very, very important. A youth from the faraway town of, of... name whose name has been stolen aka the bsx menu town uh enters a fabulous portal and emerges in a dark distant land he follows the stars and the child arrives in the land of hyrule he enters a nearby cave where he meets an old man who gives the youth a sword and explains the predicament that hyrule is in And so he sets the child out to recover eight fragments of the Triforce that are hidden deep in dangerous dungeons. He collects them, reconstructs the Triforce. He recovers the Master Sword, finds out he can wield it, fights Ganon, defeats him, rescues Princess Zelda, and then goes back to the town whose name has been stolen. That's pretty much the story in a nutshell. Sounds like Zelda. It's very much Zelda, just not with Zelda as the main character. But here's here here. They I'm sorry, were, what was that, Dave? Shut up. Not with Link as the main character. Yeah, Plus. heard it here first, folks. <laughs> <laughs> but here's here's the unique part about this. So they worked the time period into this, and basically the way they did is throughout the adventure, the use efforts were stopped. With the inability to progress further, They're, they basically say that due to the unstable nature of the magic associated with the portal that he went through, the use heroic quest in Hyrule were only possible during a one-hour period known as Zelda time. At the end of the hour, the hero would be whisked back away to the city whose name has been stolen, and the portal would not regain its ability to transport the child to Hyrule until the following Sunday. Kind of cool, huh? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it they worked they worked this weird one-hour broadcast window into the story itself. That is interesting. And as the first Soundlink game, they basically the game progresses during like a time-based system. So certain events happen at certain times and this allowed vocal files, the sound link files to reveal the plot at specific time, which is like I said, really fascinating because if you think about it, everyone who played the game got the same plot point at the same time. So it was very much like a collective, like it's like a, it's like a version of a TV show where everyone got together on the TV and watched the same TV show you know, on, you know, Friday night, and then they want to talk about it on Monday at the around the water cooler type deal, you know? Sure would suck for the people who were bad at video games and weren't quite there, so the dialogue doesn't make any sense to them. No, I don't know if that was possible. I, I think, um, so my understanding with some of the games I was able to dig into was they were, like, generic plot points in some games. Like, 
you could be in a dungeon. It would say, oh, hey, by this lake, which you should go check out when you get a chance, this is happening or stuff like that, which is very akin to how we do it now with online multiplayer. You know, um, where we have events Uh, for some whatever reason, my mind goes to destiny, how destiny has these certain events at certain times in certain places and you can jo- okay and you that can make jo- sense yeah so or forza events like horizon arcade events you know what i mean yeah no that makes sense when you put it like that that makes but, a but lot pl- more sense but the plot it wasn't like you'd be in one dungeon and the plot would be talking about the next dungeon they were worded in such a way where you could be in one either dungeon and hey this is going on here here's what you need to understand you know yeah, no, that makes now, sense. Now, there were some other things that were going on uh, that they worked into the plot line, you know, s- uh, officially to the story to make matters easier for this character, the youth. The old man that the old man would also keep track of all the youth's money and his inventory items so that he could recover them again and take them with him back and forth through the portal. The old man was also capable of telepathic communication and could grant the child magical abilities for short periods of time by researching spells and and conveying them to the character. Um, and like and because of this te- telepathy, like we were just talking about, the old man was able to he was clairvoyant, so he would be able to sense when certain plot elements were occurring. Two examples that I was able to find where were our um, useful items would wash up on the seashore. It's kind of what we were just talking about. And at one point, the great fairies were kidnapped and you you could go rescue them. So now one other unique thing, your name and your gender were picked by your BSX character. So you could be a, a boy or a girl. I do. Do we have the girl the ability to be a girl in Zelda for a while? I think it was. I, I know there's one. Isn't there one that you could be either one? Um, I don't know. I haven't played many games in the Zelda series. Uh, I would have to refer to one of my Zelda experts for that. Mm. Anyway, that's kind of the gist of of Zelda Legend of Zelda or Zelda no Densetsu. Because it was wildly successful, it was probably the most successful BS game. They made a Zelda no Densetsu map 2. Now, this is the equivalent of the second quest from the original Zelda. For those of you who don't know what that is, when you finish the game in the original Legend of Zelda, it would restart itself where everything was different. The enemies were slightly different. The dungeons were in a different place. You would basically have to learn the game over again, but where everything is shifted and moved around. And so this was essentially the second quest. Now, sometimes because of... Like I said, people refer to this as Enhanced Remake. The first BS Zelda no Densetsu, some people refer to it as the third quest and Map 2 as the fourth quest, uh, which is kind of fascinating. But all in all, it's the same concept. It's basically a remake of the original Zelda with the BSX characters. There was another game released after that in the Legend of Zelda series called Ancient Stone Tablets. This is stylistically similar to the SNES Zelda, which is called A Link to the Past. Um, So it is sometimes regarded as an enhanced remake of Link to the Past. It also does not feature Link as the character. It uses your avatar from the BSX 
Town. This one is set six years after the a Link to the Past. And basically, again, you know, you're a character from the town whose name has been stolen. You enter a fortune teller's house. In the fortune teller's house, you find a magical golden bee. And basically, you follow it and you get whisked away by strong magic to the land of Hyrule, where you find that Princess Zelda's dreams have been troubled. At one point, the youth collapses as part of he gets overwhelmed by by these dreams. And Zelda and one of her companions uh, revive the child. And they all talk about all the bad stuff that's been going on. And then a few moments after that, coincidentally, a soldier pops in the house and he tells them, hey, Ganon's evil forces have been returned. So Zelda's bad dreams basically come to fruition. What happens in this game is basically Zelda and and her companion explain that Link has left the country and they ask you, the youth, to obtain eight ancient stone tablets. And so they believe that these tablets can be put together to decode a message that will allow you to reveal an ancient secret that will tell everyone how to defeat Ganon and his army. And you basically go through Hyrule collecting items and tablets. And you're it's a sound link game. So there is voice narration, but it comes from different people. You have the fortune teller, you have princess Zelda, you get um, tips from Hyrulean soldiers, and there's a narrator to the game too. And then of course, like the other one, you know, the land itself, you know, people lend powers to the child at certain times in Zelda time. Um, They use that same concept to, you know, put time gates on and go back and forth and yeah everything else is about the same you collect the tablets you get the sword you become the hero of light you go you know to to fight um to fight ganon rob you've never played a link to the past have you no i have not That's i love i haven't yet i love a link to the past well i mean you know snes is my era so i, I love that one um, yeah, it's on my list of ones. I've been slowly playing the, well, at least the remakes of them. So not the originals, but just the remakes that I can get my hands on. So this one had a few unique things. There were shops that would you could rent shovels and sword upgrades. There were gambling mini games. There was a mysterious small character that would pop up uh, periodically that would uncover a grotto filled with hundreds of rupees so, I mean, it had some unique elements to it. Um, and then the last one they did, there was a game called The Legend of Zelda Triforce of the Gods. Triforce of the Gods was really just a ported version of A Link to the Past. This one was not divided into episodes. It wasn't limited to a, the one hour block of Zelda time. It didn't feature the main characters. Um, it really, the only difference between let's just call it what it is. It was a BS version of a link to the past. The only difference was it had a different intro screen. Cause it was a Satellaview version. It was a slightly different start menu, but otherwise it's very hard to tell a, a link to the past and Triforce of the gods apart. Why they had to give it a different name and not just call it the same thing. I don't know, but yeah. Those are the Legend of Zelda games. Those are probably the most famous games from the Satellaview. Um, there are 
some of them that have been dumped uh, minus the sound link and translated no less. Uh, if you know your way around some of the homebrew, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, homebrew is all I know. I was going to say like groups or sites or places like that. Like if you know, if you know about that, it's not too difficult to find versions of these games to play. It's the only way to play them. There is no porting or anything like that. Cause like I said, since you know that most of these games were lost from the service was shut down, you know, people have been digging and begging people for memory card packs and finding them in random places trying to recover this game data and dump it into ROMs and, 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 and work it. Now, with that being said, there are custom private servers for people that still have the Satella view and the application cartridge. Um, so you could actually get it to work somehow with the internet. And again, you know, with these, you could also get translations of, of certain games. The only ones I know for sure that people have had much luck with are the Legend of Zelda games because they were so relevant and Legend of Zelda is is such a prominent game. But all the other Satellaview content, most of the games and the music that was broadcast on it and the magazines that were broadcast on it, almost all of that is is lost for good, which really makes you kind of think about the concept of digital content and the implications you, you get, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's funny because it was something I experienced too. I really enjoyed Dr. Who and it was at a point where I wanted to watch some of the originals because I knew that a lot of it was available. And it's kind of just weird to think that there was a time where they don't have the videos and it was only if you saw it, did you ever get to see it? Yeah. Like there's yeah. no one else will ever experience it. And it's it's really like that with a lot of things. But just with media, you don't think of it so much because in what we're used to, there's numerous copies or it's nowadays uploaded to the Internet where things are basically forever. Well, I, that's I mean, to be fair, both of us grew up at a time where that there was always recordings like personal recordings, you know, because it was VHS when I was a kid. And then you were more of a digital era, but you're right. There was a time when like, tele, like if you weren't gathered around the TV at night to watch, leave it to beaver. That was it. You didn't get to see it. I mean, later on it would become available, but you, I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. You know, there are, yeah. there are probably shows and, news broadcasts and footage and all sorts of stuff like that, that is just lost because, because it, it wasn't, there just wasn't, it wasn't, I don't know. It just wasn't, there wasn't a way to portably record stuff. Yeah. And then on the other hand, we find ways to find stuff and preserve it. Like think about how accessible the zap router footage is from the Kennedy assassination. That was recorded on like an eight millimeter camera and now it's everywhere and it's been analyzed extensively, you know? Um, so on the other hand, we've managed to preserve a lot of stuff and save it, but you still got to wonder how much stuff is out there that just is gone, just completely gone. 
And if and if the if the Satella view can disappear, and the content can go, what does that mean for the rest of our content? Well, I go? mean, it's the same thing we wonder, or that I often wonder with buying digital copies of games. And I know I've adopted them a lot more as of late, but for the longest time, I never really wanted to do that because there's a very large chance that these companies will not keep licenses to keep those games up in the cloud and then what you don't have it yeah i mean it happened with some services already that because they don't have the license anymore the game is just gone so if you had it sorry you can't play it but if you have a disc the disc has all the data yeah well there there are a lot of communities that work around that first of all for those of you that don't know that's why buying DRM-free copies from sites like goldgamesgog.com is important because on that one, it's not licensed. You can download the whole game and have it. And two, I like to think that if that becomes a problem, like the, the all the groups that do cracking of games will find ways to work around it. I mean, look, even on something like this, the Satellaview is gone, but someone found a way to create a server that you could still connect and, and, and log into the BSX town. I mean, that's that's pretty wild to think about, you know? No, and like I said, I, I was definitely more uh, averted to it in the past. I've adopted it a lot more as of late, but it was just something that at the beginning, I even I, you know, I just was skeptical about the whole thing. But I mean, hey, who knows? I guess only time will tell. Only time will tell. Well, that's that's the Satella view. That is probably for a lot of our listeners myself for sure new peripheral and all new video games all wrapped into one shiny package of me talking too much yeah no that was that was all brand new information all brand new well if you want to learn more about it i will post stuff on my show notes if you want to learn more about some of the game series we talked about like we've covered other zelda titles we've covered mario titles what else did we talk about today? Earthbound. We've covered all the Earthbound in the past. We have old episodes on all of those, which you can find by going to our website at www.memorycardlane.com or by finding them wherever you listen to your podcasts. But with that being said, at memorycardlane.com, you can find a calendar of upcoming events, which right now will show you every episode we're doing through June. That's as far as I've posted so far. You can find a link to our Discord. You can find a biography of us. You can find a button where you can submit your own memories, concerns, questions, anything that you want us to talk about, or if you want to add your own input, you can do that on our website, memorycardlane.com. You can also find links to our social media. I am David is wrong in various places. Rob, what are you doing? What's your social media plug? I can be found on twitch.tv forward slash F-A-T-B-O-I-R-I-P-Z. All right. Well, this is this is this is the learning point. I, I know we've covered it, but let's see. So each week we try to teach you something new about the video game, what it took from the world as its inspiration, and what it gave back to the world as its legacy. As part of us teaching you, we like to admit that when we teach, we learn. And so we like to go around round table and talk about our biggest takeaways so rob what was i mean i know everything is brand new but what was probably the most fascinating part of the satella view i guess it's the, the you know satellite based 
gaming with a subscription for the Super Nintendo. Yeah. It's just weird to think at that time. It I, is. I guess. Yeah. And and then just the fact that so many people were experiencing the same thing at the same time, but all on yeah. their own random. Yep. Like they are, weren't on one device doing it, but they were all connected more than they realized, maybe. Well, and they know. really weren't connected the way we think of multiplayer. They were just well, receiving true. the same data at the same time. But I really like the thought, and that's my biggest takeaway for today, wrapping my head around a collective gaming experience of that size at that time. So, like, specifically, like, these people were experiencing the same dialogue at the very same time, at, you know, on a Sunday between 6 and 6.50. That's really fascinating to me. It, it's... It's just really fascinating to me. There's some more behind it. You know, they actually did research and they worked with the university to kind of make it happen. And and it took them time to develop SoundLink and time to refine SoundLink. So it's really fascinating. But I, I just I love I love the thought of a col- like this whole collective gaming experience. It's just I mean, we have it now, but very differently because the way the Internet brings us together, you know. No, it's definitely crazy to think about it in like I said, just with the time, you know, I never would have thought PlayStation two would make sense to me. PlayStation one would even be pushing the boundary, but to think back as far as super Nintendo days. Yeah. I don't know. Just blows my mind really. Yep. Well, before I plug next week's episode and take it out of here, what would you like to add? Uh, as always, I would like to take one quick moment to say thank you to all of our listeners. It's fun. It's wild. Sometimes it's a little bit of both. We're glad you're here with us. So thank you. Awesome. What about you? Back to you, Dave. Mm-hmm. Well, let's look at next week. So next yes, week, let's... next week, next week, next week. Yes, we'll be here next week and every week after that. Schnella. Yes, next week we're looking at the grandfather of 3D shooters, which is widely regarded as having helped popularize the first-person shooter genre, and it helped establish the standard of FPS games with fast-paced action and technical superiority, you know, that that typically is now found within the FPS genre. Released in May of 95, Wolfenstein 3D was a genre-changing release, a critical and commercial success, and a game that's considered to be one of the greatest video games ever made. We're going to take a look at Wolfenstein 3D. We're going to dig a little bit more into the history of id, which is the company that makes it, which we've kind of briefly covered some of the popular faces of id when we did the Doom episode, but this time we're going to look at the company itself. Anyway, so next week we're going to take a look at Wolfenstein 3D. So join us again next week as we fight off wave after wave of baddies on yet another trip down memory card lane. Do the thing. Yeah.